All right, Josh. Hey, welcome to Thin Line Believers. We haven't been at this in quite a while, but uh, hopefully our electronics will keep up with us today. And and as my guest, I'm going to ask if you'd be willing to pray us in. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Adam. Yeah. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to um, just be on this platform, how you've blessed Thin Line Believers. And uh, I just pray that you would be present in this conversation, that you make less of me and more of you that you'd be glorified and that the listeners would be encouraged, challenged, um, and just to, uh, to see that there's a community uh, around them that supports them and loves them, and that, Lord, you're driving that, and you are uh, pursuing first responders and rescuing them and delivering them, Lord, and we just praise you and just ask that for those in the, the audience that are seeking you or looking for you, Lord, that you would just uh, allow us to connect, and, and uh, yeah, I just can't wait to see what you're going to do through this. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, sir. So uh, by way of introduction, this is Josh Cook joining me today. Uh, Josh is the founder of Enter the Lion Ministries, and I'm going to let him tell you a little bit more about that. But I know that Josh was also a prior law enforcement and obviously felt the call into a little bit different of a, of a direction there. But uh, I'm going to let you kick it off from here, Josh. Yeah, absolutely. I'm grateful to be on here, Adam. And uh, your mustache looks even more beautiful. Even though we're not in person, it's more beautiful than when I see it on Instagram. So it's the real deal, everybody. You know how to talk to a man. I appreciate that. <laughs> you got you to gotta, uh, sweeten the pot before we, we, we start talking. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was uh, a police officer for seven years. I started off with Baltimore City in Maryland. I was there for two years, and I think like most people who have that city experience, it was, you know, you're thrown into the fire. I would never want to go do it again, but at the same time, it was a blast. At the same time, it was miserable, uh, but I learned a ton, and it was a great way to kick off uh, a law enforcement career. I lateraled to the county south where I did the, the next five years, and uh, honestly, I, I loved it. I, I loved where I was at. I loved what I was doing. I had no plans to leave until the Lord came calling and, and he, uh, he called my family and I to move from Maryland to East Tennessee. Um, and I don't know that we'll get into that today, but it was one of those instances where the Lord calls you to pick up your cross or he tells you to, to count the cost to follow him. And so that was the end of my law enforcement career, at least for now, unless he calls me back. Um, but he's allowed me to keep working in the ministry. And, and through that transition, um, it's kind of been a shift in, I guess, roles where, uh, you know, running the ministry while being in law enforcement had its difficulties with the time constraints, you know, and the responsibilities you have. The Lord has given me a lot of flexibility to to build the ministry, to work on it, and to care for um, those the Lord is allowing us to minister to. So as much as I miss law enforcement, I'm also grateful that I'm out. Um, but it's a blessing to be in a position where we can focus on um, loving on, pouring into, equipping, and building uh, first responders across the country. So um, that's what we're focusing on. And I know we'll get into that, but I'm just grateful to be on here, man. No, I appreciate you taking your time to do so. So, uh, let's go back a little bit though. Were you, were you a believer prior to joining law enforcement? What did that look like? And what did you do before you got on with Baltimore? Yeah, I, I was fortunate to be saved young. Um, and so I was a believer going into law enforcement. I'll say that, I didn't have an understanding as a young police officer how my faith and, and vocation uh, worked together. Um, and I joined law enforcement because I felt like God was calling me to, but 
I think maybe even more so is in search of adventure, a search of an adrenaline rush, which isn't necessarily a wrong thing for a, man, a young man to pursue when the Lord puts that in your heart. Um, before that, I was in college and I was pursuing business. Um, and while I was in college pursuing business, the Lord connected me with some police officers in the area. And as I got to know them and as I got to hear their stories, what they actually did, I was awestruck really. And I was like, I, I have to do that. I want to be a part of that. I want to do that. And so I switched my major and there was no looking back. I actually left college early to get into the academy, finished later, but was just uh, the Lord really kind of grabbed a hold of me. And and um, looking back, I know that it was the timing was all his and, and he certainly called me in. But um, but yeah, I was, was a believer since a young age, uh, never thought about law enforcement until college and then boom, jumped right in. You're in Tennessee now, but you coming from Baltimore. I mean, that's, that's gotta be a bit, a bit of a culture shock, isn't it? It is very different culturally. Uh, we're out, uh, in a small town and I mean, to be honest now, I love it. Um, you know, I have four kids been married for 10 years. I'm ready to live in a small town and, you know, kind of not be known by anybody, kind of have a little bit of land, you know, have our farm animals and raise our kids. And so the, the transition has been a blessing for us. I, I don't miss, um, I, I do miss Maryland, but you know, at the same time, we love Tennessee. We love the people out here. We love what God's doing and, and getting to be a part of it. So, um, you know, very grateful for that early season, but uh, also excited about what God's doing now. So you grew up more in the urban area? No, I, I didn't. I, I grew up more suburban. And so actually joining Baltimore City Police was a culture shock for me, for sure, because mm. you're thrown right into it. And, you know, I had to learn the lingo and I was like, I don't even know what they're saying. Like, you know, this is all new to me, but it was a blast. And, um, you know, um, yeah, uh, I, again, like um, that, that was a season where the Lord really challenged me and challenged my faith. Um, and, and really humbled me. I think I went into law enforcement as a young man, very arrogant uh, in my abilities and my own strengths. And like two weeks into the job, the Lord humbled me tremendously and showed me through a critical incident that, hey, man, like you're not all that, you know, your your life is in my hands. And uh, this could have gone a couple of different ways. And so um, that initial critical incident and humbling me really kind of put me on the path to eventually starting ETL about four years later. And so um, you know, I, I'm grateful for that time period um, and, and how it's really shaped me as a man, shaped me as a police officer and shaped me to be in ministry today. Go on. <laughs> What's the incident? Okay. So, I mean, it's nothing that um, it's probably one of those incidents where everybody, every police officer has been through something similar. It's nothing um, fancy or heroic or anything like that, but it's one of those that you know it, it shaped me as a police officer and shook me. Um, yeah, we all diminish. We all diminish what we've done. What, but you don't oh, need no. to do that, man. Go ahead. What's what was it? What was it? I was walking foot patrol. It was uh, it was about midnight, and so I'm walking in this area um, in the Eastern District, and it's a rough area. It's it's um, primarily run by a gang called the Black Gorilla Family. So I'm walking foot patrol and my partner had just got called in to do administrative work. And I had about two hours left in my shift. So I'm just walking down the street, car pulls up and one of the guys in the car throws a soda can at me and it hits me in the foot and they peel off around the corner and they start going up the road. So I'm cutting through alleys. I'm looking for them. And like two blocks up, I see them just parked. I'm like, yes, like there they are. And so, um, I sneak up and 
you know, just to put it out there, my tactics in the story are horrible. Like everything was bad. Um, you know, like looking back, I'm like, this all could have been avoided if I had been a little bit smarter, but I wasn't. Um, so I approached the car and I conduct a traffic foot on stop with it being occupied four times, which it's stupid. But, you know, I'm, I'm excited. I'm like literally two weeks into the job, just been cut loose. And the radio is just busy. So I'm getting on. It's like, boop, dude. And I'm like, uh-oh. You know, like I'm trying to click it. And all the guys in the car, they're looking at me. And I'm looking at them. And the little, you know, hairs on the back of your neck start standing up. And that's when I'm like, this probably wasn't wise. <laughs> and so then um, the passenger gets out of the car. He kind of looks at me. And I'm like, you know, get back in the car and you know i'm yelling at him and he takes off running and i'm like oh my gosh my first foot chase i'm so excited i'm like you know running after him and finally get on the radio and i'm like i got a foot pursuit i'm i'm i don't even know where i am i'm just really excited to be doing this you know like and uh we're going through these alleys and he turns around and faces me and as he faces me i tackle him and we're in this like vacant lot where uh you know building had been torn down and so we're kind of like we're in the middle of the city, but we're I really don't know where we are because we're in some back alleys that took us to like uh, abandoned vacant that had been torn down. So we're kind of like in this field. And so I tackle him and I'm on top of him and I'm like, I did it like I won. I got my first foot chase like, um, you know, this is awesome. And then he just clocks me in the face and I was like, I don't think they're supposed to do that. Like I thought they were just supposed to, do that, <laughs> you know, like so he hits me in the face kind of like takes me back. And, um, and so I do what I think I'm supposed to do. I start punching him back. And, uh, so we're, we get into this basically messy brawl. And again, looking back, I wish I had had, you know, stronger jujitsu skills or control techniques because it could have been mitigated, but I'm just throwing punches like a wild man. Somehow he stands up and, you know, we're going at it and, um, I'm getting tired. He had ripped my radio off and he had thrown the radio. So I had lost communications and, um, and as we're wrestling the whole incident, I think I had caught parts of it on camera. I think it took 90 seconds, maybe from foot chase to the, to the conclusion. But you know how, when you're in an incident like that, it feels like we're like, we must be nine minutes in at this point, you know, it's what you're feeling in your mind. And so I'm, I'm thinking I'm having this moment, like I can't control this guy. Uh, my radio's gone and I'm starting to feel like fear creeping. Like, should I let him go? but I can't do that. Like he needs to be like, I'm, I'm processing this. And then he starts calling for his friends and he starts having three friends start approaching us. And at this point I get him back on the ground and I draw my gun and I was like, I'll shoot everybody here unless you, you stop. Like, I didn't know what else to do. I didn't have a taser. I'm just like, I'm scared at this point because I'm, I'm in over my head for sure. And as soon as I say that the, uh, I see red and red and blue lights bouncing off the buildings, getting closer and this officer jumps out of the car and she helps me handcuff the guy. And uh, we search him and he's got a fully loaded 38 in his pocket. And uh, we end up, you know, kind of calming down and, and getting everything under control. We end up finding out that the, the gun was used in a shooting. I don't know if he was the shooter, but, you know, he was a, he was a BGF member and, and he was prohibited. And so he was looking at some serious time. And... Um, you know, I was, I was replaying that incident over and over again. When I initially tackled him, he turned to face me. I can remember his hand going down towards his pocket. And when it happened, I wasn't thinking that he was going to draw. And, and I don't know, maybe he wasn't. But when I tackled him, uh, either by my sheer luck or maybe God sent an angel, it broke his right collarbone. So it rendered his arm unable to really be, you know, be mobile. So 
um, you know, if he had plans on trying to get away that night, it was definitely the Lord who protected me. But that moment, as I, as I replayed it, like the next morning, I didn't sleep that night. I didn't, um, I don't even know if I slept the next day, <laughs> but I was just so full of adrenaline and I kept replaying it thinking like that could have been it. Like that I, I could have been killed there or, you know, just usually think about all the things that could have happened and the anxiety began to creep in, you know, um, anxiety coupled with lack of sleep coupled with, um, not really talking about it. I got a little like letter from the, the captain about like, you know, good job. Yay. And as a foot patrol officer, as the young officers, we were looked down upon because we were young. But as soon as that happened, everyone was like, Oh man, like you're the man, like you got a gun, like you're awesome. But in internally, I'm like terrified. And I'm like, I don't want to go back out here that the next morning, the next night, they put me on the same exact beat, the same spot. And I'm walking through, you know, finding stuff we lost in the fight. And I, and I'm just like not understanding how to process what just happened and being too young and naive to be able to just push it aside. Like I thought I was supposed to do. And I was too ashamed to let anybody know that I was struggling with fear or anxiety. And so that just all began to, to build and build and build and to the point where um, when that happened, I think I had been married for a month, a very young marriage. Um, I, I lost my sense of humor. I wasn't eating as much. I stopped working out. Um, you know, everything looked gray, you know, like I lost the joy and the excitement. And, you know, that quickly, you know, from a couple of years of just not being able to wait to get into the fight, I lost it all because of this, this moment and I didn't know how to handle it. And in those moments, I remember reading Joshua one and reading scriptures like, you know, be strong and courageous, only be strong and courageous. And I'm like, I don't know how to be strong and courageous. Like, I know that I'm not supposed to feel this way with anxiety, but, but I do. So what do I do? And I remember I um, later on found out that that gang had put a hit out on me, which to, to clarify, I don't know if it was legitimate, you know, like, would they actually carry it out? Probably not. But, um, it scared me as a young police officer, you know, like, oh, that they, they, this gang may have put a hit out on me or something like, you know, it, it was just another thing that my mind started running. So, you know, I live 30 minutes away, but I'm taking different routes home and I'm always checking, looking over my shoulder, things like that. And, you know, I think I see the, the dude, you know, all the time and, you know, just allowing the fear to creep in. And I eventually I, I worked up the courage to talk to a pastor and, um, you know, very, very nice man. But when I told him, I just kind of, you know, diarrhea of the mouth, everything that had happened to me. And I'm like, this is like, I don't know what to do. I'm struggling with all this. Um, he wasn't prepared for it. And I think he just hadn't been through anything like that before. And so he was like, uh, I'll, yeah, I'll be, I'll pray for you. Like, you know, and, and, uh, not to speak bad about him, but he just wasn't sure quite how to handle it. He wasn't probably the person to, to, to know what PTS symptoms were or to know, um, you know, here's how we walk through a situation like this. So I felt alone in it and um, was crying out to the Lord and, and I'll kind of tie up the story, but the Lord has delivered me from anxiety and the Lord used that situation to teach me what it actually means to, to be strong and courageous and how to push back against anxiety. And the way that the Lord delivered me from that fear was um, after that happened and during that time, uh, we were not plugged into a local church. We were not connected with any local body at all. And that was on me as the husband. I wasn't leading our family well. I was like, you know, we're tired all the time. My wife's a nurse. We work shifts. It just really wasn't convenient. And so I used the excuse like, I'm too busy. I'm too tired. 
church just doesn't fit into my schedule, you know? And the Lord really convicted me of that. It was the first thing was you need to, to take seriously what I take seriously. And so you need to go be around other godly men who are going to call you higher. And so we, we committed to and joined a local church. And then I jumped into a small group. And as I began to develop trust with those men, they began to battle on my behalf. And so as anxiety would creep in, I would call them and they would immediately start praying for me over the phone or through text. And it was just like, as we pushed into God and pushed into God's people, it was like the Lord just eventually lifted that away from me. And, um, and it was powerful not to say, and I know we, we talked about some phone, not to say that I never have anxiety anymore, not to say that I, I am never afraid, but that level of bondage was removed. And uh, Jesus showed me that he died for that, you know, that I don't have to live in that type of bondage because that was bore by him on the cross. And so if I'm wearing that, that level of anxiety, I need to hand it off to him. And so it, it took me some time, but he, he, he showed me how to hand it off to him. And it was just kind of a, it transformed my law enforcement career because when I was able to, um, to give that to him and step out of the chains that he had already unlocked, my law enforcement career opened up and I began to be excited again about pursuing the calling on my life, which was patrol at the time. And so by taking that fear away, I then began to feel free to engage with ferocity and tenacity to go after bad guys, to, to do it fearlessly and to also love and wash people's feet in the community. And when I kind of took my eyes off of myself and my own fear, it opened up so many ministry opportunities to share the gospel, to be the light, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, whether it be by handcuffing somebody or by hugging somebody, you know? And so um, it was really a transitional point for me in my law enforcement career. And that was really the genesis to ETLs in that time of searching and looking for help, I was like, I need a godly mentor. I need somebody who's been through this. There's got to be other Christians out there, but I couldn't find any. Um, the Lord used a nobody like me to just facilitate a community. And that's what we do with ETL is facilitate biblical community for warriors, connecting them, facilitating Bible studies, hosting retreats, um, pouring into leaders so that the young cops out there who are wrestling through things like that don't have to go through that alone, that they know that, yeah, you know, other vice detectives have struggled with the cases that they're working on too. And here's connect, you know what I mean? Other SWAT guys who've been through some insane incidents, you know, can connect with each other, lift each other up, pray for one another. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the story there and how that transitioned to us starting the ministry. So did you have any other critical incidents after that one that really kind of challenged your anxiety? Yeah. Uh, and I, it, you know, maybe it was the Lord fathering me and teaching me. Maybe it was the enemy trying to shake me. I don't know. But two weeks after that, we got into a fight with a guy who was actually in a wheelchair, but he tried to draw a gun on my partner and we were fighting over his hands, which was trying to reach the gun. And, um, he was in a wheelchair, so his arms were very strong. <laughs> and, uh, and so it was, again, it was a struggle as he's reaching for this gun I'm trying to hold his hands from getting it. And, um, you know, by God's grace, nothing happened. Nobody was injured. But again, it was another one of these where it was like, that could have gone really bad, you know? And, uh, you know, either my partner might not be here or I might not be here. And so that compounded the anxiety as well. Um, but, but yeah, having those back-to-back -back was difficult as a young officer and not knowing or having resources of how to, to proceed forward. 
So then having had the resources going, you know, through your career, I mean, that's a, that's a decent amount of time to be in law enforcement. So when you did face other critical incidents and you had that, I don't know if support system is the right, but you had that foundation Mm -hmm. poured then. How did that differ for you? Yeah, it was night and day, honestly. Yeah. Um, to be able to just have men that I trusted to be able to call and just say, I'm struggling with this, um, to be able to lift me up, to pray for me, to give me perspective, to, you would keep me from even spiraling down the path. You know what I mean? So that mm-hmm. the moment that anxiety creeps in to make a phone call, a text, or to go grab coffee with somebody, they help pick you back up so that you're not even, you're not falling. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, there's a, uh, an analogy my pastor gave, he was hunting in Maine. And the, the hunting guide said, you know, the, the trees are so thick out here that if a tree wanted to fall, it couldn't even if it wanted to. And it was kind of that idea of with what strong biblical community looks like when you surround yourself with mighty oaks or men who are planted by the streams of living water. You can't fall even if you're, you're trying to, right? Because they're right on top of you and they're going to catch you as soon as you start to, to tip. So, um, and so that was huge. And so I think even a lot of incidents that maybe would have bothered me when I first started really just kind of was, wasn't even an issue, you know? Right on. I guess mine, my critical incidents and those kinds of deals went a little bit differently. Sure. And after that, I, you know, I I wasn't in shootings. Like I, I think I was protected in a lot of ways in my career. And so I think my experience and my, and what the Lord did for me doesn't necessarily, uh, what am I trying to say? Like, I know you've been through some, some different things. You've probably been through a lot more than I have. And so, um, for me to say like, Oh, certain things didn't bother me. Um, it doesn't mean my faith was stronger or that the Lord had done more. I think it's just the Lord had protected me in a lot of ways from not having to experience a lot of things that a lot of other police officers have been through. Oh yeah. No, I'm not saying that it's, that, you know, one's any better than the other or anything like that, but it's obviously different, right? God reaches sure. as each reaches each of us in a unique way. And that's because each of us is unique. So we have to be reached in different ways. Yeah. Um, in fact, I've got, I've got friends that struggle with anxiety like crazy. And I've told them, you, you know, this, I tell them right up front, especially those that are strong believers, you know, this is, this is nothing to do with your faith. Mm-hmm. This is, this is, this is a cross that you have to bear. Maybe you'll be freed from it. Maybe you won't. Maybe it'll be like Paul. Maybe God's saying my grace is sufficient for you. And maybe that's something you just have to walk through. So I'm, but I do think, you know, you used a word bondage that I think a lot of times we overlook. And I think, you know, you feel free to elaborate on this, but I think there's a big difference between bondage and uh, just torment. You know, I think bondage, like you said, it's it's something that that holds on to you, and then I think that each each one of us can be set free from that. Mm-hmm. And I don't, for a minute, think that I don't accept that depression and anxiety have to be a lifelong thing. But Amen. then again, there's also this 
torment, right? If you've ever read the book, uh, screw tape letters, mm-hmm. I, I think CS Lewis is spot on in this, that there's, there's a demon or, or fallen angel, whatever it is that is attached to, or assigned to each of us, not attached to, but assigned to each of us. And their goal is just to make things miserable for us to bring us away from God, who they call the enemy, you know? And, uh, so I think that that is probably what most of us face unless we are in bondage. But, um, what do you think? Yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree. There's a difference between being in bondage to anxiety and just struggling with anxiety. You know, like, like you said, I think I was in bondage to anxiety because of the level, how deep that it was. I needed to be set free from it. It wasn't just something I could push away. Um, another interesting thing you, you know, I would say maybe there's a third option to, you know, bondage, torment. And sometimes, and this could be debatable, but sometimes I think the Lord allows us to go through it because he's fathering us. Um, and what I mean by that is um, not that the Lord has put you in a situation necessarily, but he's using that situation to make you stronger and to come closer to him. You know what I mean? Like like a Job situation. And, and what I mean by that is um, there's a, a beautiful book by John Eldridge called Fathered by God that I'm going through with, with some guys right now. And um, it just kind of uses the analogy of a, of a young man who's being challenged by his father in order to be raised up to be a man, right? Um, and, you know, for, for law enforcement officers, like going through the police academy, it's, it's miserable, um, but it's purposeful, right? Or you went through SWAT school. I've heard it's miserable, but it's purposeful. And you have to be challenged to that degree so you can rise above it and be equipped for, you know, the task that will befall you as a SWAT officer. And I think a lot of times in our faith life, we can neglect trials or we fail to count it as joy because we think like, oh, why is God doing this to me? This is just misery. I'm being tormented. But sometimes I think God is actually saying, I want to make you stronger. I want to give you more opportunities. I want to, to strengthen you. I want to challenge you because it produces hope. It produces character. It produces steadfastness. And you're going to know me in a deeper way. And so I can look back on, the, on my trials like that and I can count it all joy because, you know, whether it was the enemy or whether it just happened to me, you know, I don't know. We could debate that um, or whether it was both. God definitely used those to strengthen me in a way that I'm so grateful for. Like I, I wouldn't want to go through it again, but it allowed me to see God in a different intimacy and allowed him to see his work in my life in a way that um, I'm just so grateful for. So my, I would encourage you if you're, if you're feeling tormented or you're feeling like you can't kick this, um, consider that the Lord is still near to that situation uh, and that he loves you and that he sees you. And that sometimes if you feel like, why isn't God answering my prayer? You know, it's been months or it's been years and you haven't answered it. You know, sometimes the Lord is using that season of long suffering to teach you patience and to teach you to press into him. Because when you come out of the desert season, there's an author named Jim Phillips who says the desert season is the classroom of holiness. When you come out of the, the desert season, it's like coming out of SWAT school. You get that pin, right? It's like it was all worth it in the end. So to be, to be, you know, keep your eyes on the prize, if you will, to keep running hard because the Lord is not forsaken you by any means. I think there's a flip side to that too. You know, there's probably the listener that's like, well, I don't know. Things are pretty easy for me. I'm going through nothing. You know, life's going good, make good money, got good relationships. Uh, I would challenge you if, if that's you listening 
how's your relationship with God? Because you mentioned Job, and God used trials in Job's life to not only bring Job closer to him and to, and to show Job just how mighty he was, but he used that situation for you and me too, right? So I have the, the book of Job in my Bible. And so that's helped me get through situations and brought me closer to God. I can read Job chapter 38 and on, and I just see this, the, the power of God in his creation and how he explains all these things that he has done. Things that science didn't even understand until, you know, the 20th century. Yeah. And maybe, maybe you should pray a really stupid prayer like I did back in at the end of 2013. Maybe you should pray for trials. You know, the, the church at Laodicea, man, their problem was that they were lukewarm. And, mm -hmm. and Jesus threatened to vomit them out of his mouth, which is, that's graphic and horrifying. And so if, if you think that maybe your walk with God is lukewarm, maybe you ought to pray for trials that smack me in the face. Yeah, that's good. That's good, Adam. I think, you know, it's, it's funny. I was talking to somebody about this of like, a lot of times we're so open to be, if you're a decent officer, you're open to being challenged, right? You put yourself in schools, you put yourself in training opportunities, and they're all designed to be, in essence, what a trial does, right? They, they try you, they test you, you come out on top, you come out better, more efficient. Um, and so it's like, man, if you want to, if you're doing that in the business world, or you're doing that in law enforcement, um, why would it be any different in our spiritual walks as well? And so, like you said, yeah, those, those seasons in the desert or those trials are so valuable in the way that the Lord uses them to shape us and to build our character. Yeah, for sure. So moving on from there, where did you get the idea? And, and you kind of touched on this as far as what your goal was in starting enter the line, but where did you, where did you get the, the idea for it? Where did you, you know, come up with the, the structure of it. What is the structure of it? Tell me about it. I think the Lord honestly gave me the idea. Um, I'm not a super smart, creative guy. <laughs> so I, I think the Lord just handed this to us. And I say us because the ministry was founded by a wonderful friend and brother named Billy Vivian, who's still in the Marine Corps and still involved in the ministry. Um, the structure, when we started off, we started off with a Bible study, I think with one person and we were just like, I don't even know what we're doing, you know, but let's just take a step of obedience and see what the Lord does. I think from that day on, the Lord has been faithful to um, refine what this ministry is because this is his ministry. Um, I am currently just this, a steward of it. This is not my ministry. I don't even really like calling myself the head of the ministry because that's not true. You know, it's like what Paul says, he's the bond servant of Christ. And so um, I really believe that this is the Lord's and that he's doing as he wills with it. Um, but what we do is we seek to facilitate community, like I said, for first responders. And so uh, part of that is online community through online Bible studies, which are great for the officers who are working swing shifts, working midnights, have a difficult schedule to get plugged into anything at church. Like my Bible study at church was Thursdays at 7 p.m. And I worked like three out of the four months. So going once a month was tough. I needed something else to kind of supplement that, you know, and I could even plug in when I was working if you have a, you know, computer in your car or something. So that's the heart behind the, the online studies. 
Um, we seek to help officers have the courage to start their own communities. Um, you know, we have people come to us and be like, oh man, I wish I had a, you know, a solid community in my department. And the answer is always, maybe you should be the one to start it. You know, like we're all called to make disciples. And so let us come behind you and let us give you some resources. Let us give you encouragement. Let us pour into you and disciple you for a period of time. So you feel like you can step out and do that. Um, and so that's the kind of the, the cultivating community part. And all of that ties into um, our retreats, which we're, we're building more. I think we have five or six this year. And I'm hoping that we'll, Lord willing, we'll have um, some more next year, maybe seven to eight is the goal. But anyways, the retreats kind of culminate that. And it's a time to, to come out, um, to be refreshed, to be challenged, to build deep community quickly, um, and then to, to build on those friendships that were made at the retreats through the online studies and to kind of keep growing together. So I would say to sum it up, uh, retreats, online studies, and leadership development so that people can facilitate their own community. When are you going to bring the retreat to the West Coast? You just haven't asked. Plus, I also don't think that you need me. So I think you just met you yesterday. Come on. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Well, I would love to support it. I I would love to. It's my heart is just to help any way I can. Nice. Cool. Cool. So, um, how did you end up getting tied in with Jack Pearl then down in, in Texas? Same deal. Yeah. Uh, we connected through, um, I think I connected with somebody in his department through Instagram Mm -hmm. and, um, I'll use his first name. I think it's okay. I connected with a guy named Scott. And, uh, Scott was a guy who was like, man, I want to start something in, in my own community. And, uh, Scott was a part of some of our Bible studies. Scott was a part of one of our retreats. Mm -hmm. And then Scott went and started his own ministry, which was incredible. And so he was like, man, I, you know, I want to do this. I think God's calling me to do this here in East Texas. And Scott created his own law enforcement ministry down in East Texas. And I think it's phenomenal. Um, and that's kind of the heart and the vision is to help if we can help spur and encourage those and get mm-hmm. those started. That's amazing. And Jack, I believe, was Scott's partner at some point. So, excuse me, um, Scott introduced me to Jack and um, Jack ran a retreat that we kind of co-hosted together in the spring. So I got to meet him in person and he's just a beast of a man. I, I love him. He's uh, just one of those guys that I, I want to be when I grow up. So cool, dude. Right on. So what's going on now? What's next for uh, ETL and what's the future there? I see you have a retreat coming up here pretty soon. Yeah. So we have our fall retreat, which will take place at the end of October. Uh, happens in the mountains of East Tennessee. And that retreat is geared on um, withdrawing and abiding. So taking the example of Jesus when you know Jesus was a hard dude, which I know you know, and you've talked about probably in your podcast, but you know, when when it came to ministry, he was, you know, on foot all the time, ministering to people, you know, how exhausting it can be to listen to people all day, um, to perform miracles and Jesus's humanity. Um, you know, when he was tired, he would withdraw into the wilderness and he would seek his father so that his cup could be filled and he could go back and continue the mission that was laid before him. And so that's kind of the model we, we seek for our abide retreats is to bring first responders out to the wilderness to seek the, the father together, to worship together, feast together, have fun together, uh, and then be sent out stronger, uh, better husbands, better fathers, better police officers. Um, 
So we'll be running an online study starting in September. We'll be starting that. We'll have that retreat in October. And then we're working on um, our next study for January of next year, which will lead into um, Lord willing. We'll have a couple marriage retreats again. We'll have our, our fitness retreat and then we'll have our abide retreats. And so I always kind of look ahead loosely and the Lord can change it. The Lord can tweak it. Um, but that's my plan as of now. And uh, we'll see what the Lord has. Perfect. Hey, what? Uh, there's a lot of different aspects, especially for somebody in law enforcement. And this is true for anybody that works as much as, as police officers do. You got four kids. So I, I don't know how to frame this question. I just, I just wonder how, how do you, what steps do you take? I mean, how are you intentional as a father? How are you intentional as a husband? And I mean, maybe this is too much to, to chew on in this one podcast, but how, how are you being intentional in that while still being able to uh, put in the time you need to work? That's a good question. And um, I'm not sure I'm the best to answer that because I'm still really learning through that. And I'm kind of stumbling forward, I guess I would say. Um, one of the biggest things that I've learned is um, to protect the priority. Like first and foremost, God has called me to be a husband and a father. And that is a priority over the ministry or over uh, my vocational career, you know? Um, and so I have to remember the keep my priorities straight and to trust the Lord that if I need to sacrifice for my family, that he's going to protect me on the other fronts for the other responsibilities that I have. But discipling my children is more important than discipling people in the ministry because they are the ones that are closest to me. And those are the ones that God has given me. And one of my um, spiritual mentors, who's the chairman of our board, always challenges me. And he says, Josh, you know, anybody could take your place as the head of ETL. Anybody could take your place in your job or as a police officer or whatever, but you are the only one qualified to be the husband to Emily and to be the father to your four kids. And so you need to make sure that you're succeeding at that mission. And I failed a lot at it because I, I'm a visionary. I get excited about ministry. I get excited about business. And if an idea hits my head, I like to run with it. Um, and God has given me a very um, incredible wife who will be quick to be like, hey, like you need to come back down to earth here. You know what I mean? Like, Hey, you've, you've neglected your family this week and uh, it'll be difficult. But what we've learned is that we have to be extremely intentional with our communication. Like, Hey, here's what my week looks like. How does this impact your week? Or Hey, like to my wife, you know, how can I help? Like, what do you need for me? It, you know, how do you feel about me going on this retreat? Because there's times where she's like, I need you to not travel this you know, this time I need you to not do any retreats for a long time. You know, like I need you to, to, to X, Y, Z. And when we have those conversations that protects our marriage, it protects uh, me from just kind of, you know, falling off. Uh, and also just clearly communicating with close brothers. Like, Hey, I do wrestle with, with this. I do um, have a hard time resting. I do have a hard time with staying on track. And so having people keep me accountable um, is, is really helpful. So I've definitely not mastered it, but I think clear communication with your spouse and understanding priorities is very important. Yeah. I don't remember where I heard it said, but I, I heard it said that, uh, your family is your most important ministry, hmm. which just makes sense to me. Right. I see way too many cops that reach their retirement 
And when they look back, that stuff has been neglected. Family is off doing their own thing. They don't even know dad anymore or mom. Yep. That's a tragedy. And then they're just replaced, right? They get a neat little retirement ceremony, but then somebody else takes up the radio number that they used to have. It's not like they retired the radio number and everything fell apart when they left. So Mm -hmm. that's true. It it is about prioritizing. So right on. Well, I think I'm going to save some other stuff for another time. We're coming up on, well, we're just past 40 minutes. So I think that's pretty good little chunk to sit and chew on. You gave us a lot to, to think about, but how do we connect with you? Find us on Instagram, look up, enter the line, send me a message. Um, you can, Go on our website, enterthelion.co, um, and you can find my email on there. And I think my phone number is on Instagram too, but I would love to connect with you. Um, if you are hungry, you feel lost, if you're struggling with anxiety, you're struggling with whatever it may be, just reach out to us. And, and I would love to, to, to get in touch or, or patch you through to somebody who's more qualified than I am. If you are looking for community, you're looking to start community, um, if anything we talked about, you know, puts a, uh, puts a, an inkling in your heart, gets you excited, reach out. Cause I'd love to see how we can support you, get you connected, um, and get you on the path to where God's called you. And just to piggyback on that, um, I've been holding my Bible open here for quite a while now. One of the verses that's gotten me through a lot of the anxiety issues, uh, is a very popular verse, but it wouldn't be one that you would think, man, yeah, this gets this would get me through. No, it's it's Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. For unto us a child is born, uh, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, and this is the key phrase right here, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And I always just kind of skimmed past that, but one day I was really struggling And that's the passage that was just in my daily reading. And I saw that wonderful counselor and I looked it up different translations and the majority of them say the same thing. Wonderful counselor where the comma is, it doesn't really matter. Wonderful comma counselor. It doesn't, it doesn't matter because you know what? I have a counselor. I I talked to somebody, but I never saw that portion. And I took that literally, I took it very seriously I went out to my barn because if I got a barn here, I went and I sat on my my hay, my my stack of hay. I sat there and I I spilled my guts like I would do a counselor, man, and and that made a huge difference for me. Hmm. So um, anyway, I just wanted to share that real quick, and I'm gonna pray us out as soon as I get my hat off, like Paul told me to do. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you for this conversation with Josh. Thank you for what you've done through him and in him. Thank you for showing him the priorities of family. I ask that, that would always remain the same as much as we want to reach reach others with the gospel, Lord. We know that uh, that you have given us family as a priority. So please help him to pour into his his kids and into his wife and to lead them properly. And then, Lord, I ask that you would give him the energy left over from that to pour into the rest of us. Thank you for our brothers and sisters in law enforcement, particularly, but also those, those uh, hose draggers fighting fire and our veteran community. Lord, I ask that you would pour special blessing out 
over all of them and all of us. And Father, whatever you have in store for Enter the Lion, I ask that it would be beyond anything that uh, Josh could plan on his own, but that as you as you grow this thing, as you reach others, that he'll look back and see that only your hand could have done all these things. And uh, Lord, I ask that this podcast in particular would, would bless somebody. And if somebody is dealing with the anxiety, that they would turn to you and that they would find peace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Adam. Appreciate it. We'll get you back on here, hopefully before too long, since now I'm actually starting to do this again. Maybe I won't be so lazy now. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. It was a blessing. Um, and uh, I'm grateful for what you're doing. Uh, truly, um, keep up the amazing work. Oh, thank you for sure. All right, folks, connect with us on Instagram, YouTube, all that good stuff. We'll see you soon.